Hey everyone, welcome to the Center Church Podcast. My name is Jack and I'm the Youth and Discipleship Resident here at Center Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and move to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> good to see you. Good to be back with you again. Uh, if, I, if I haven't met you yet, if you're newer to Center, my name's Brian. And as John was saying, I, I serve as the senior pastor for the Zero Collective Network, which is uh, uh, basically this family of churches the Center is a part of in the greater Grand Rapids area. And we're going after the name of Jesus until there are zero people left unchanged by him uh, in our area. And so I'm uh, excited to be back with you. I've actually, the last time I was here was April. Um, so uh, my family and I, we're on a, a sabbatical, and um, so our oldest son got married in May, which kind of started that, which was awesome. Yes, I, I'm that old now, and um, people are always, I keep saying like, oh, are you sad, you know, you, that your kid moved out of the house, and I'm like, no, I'm not sad. Are you kidding me? We trained for this for like 20 years. Raising kids is the hardest thing I ever did with my life. No, I'm not sad, but uh, we're really excited uh, for, for him, and it's been just a wonderful time seeing that happen. And it's great to be here today with, with my son, uh, my youngest son here, John, um, also an up-and-coming worship leader doing uh, that. So that's been fun to be a part of this together. So I hope you're excited today as we start this brand new series. Um, uh, to get us in, we're, we're talking about all, all five Sundays of October, we're talking about this idea of what does it mean to anchor our lives into the person of Jesus. Max Lucado tells this story um, of in Six Hours, One Friday, one of his books, about how he and some friends rented a houseboat uh, for like a vacation. So for a couple weeks, they had this like houseboat in this beautiful area. And unfortunately, as they were there, they learned that there was a huge storm coming. And this storm was going to come across and it was going to do all kinds of damage. And so they realized they had to somehow secure this houseboat they were on. And so he tells the story that what they did is they got some ropes and they tied the houseboat to the dock. Uh, just to try to make it a little bit more secure. But even that didn't look quite right. And so they, they took some more ropes just to be sure, and they tied it then to like the tree limbs of, of some trees that were on the shore not too far away. And so it looked like a big spider web, you know what I mean, of this houseboat kind of tied. And he said what happened is this old weather-wise boater saw what they were doing, and he walked by and he said, hey, i, I got to tell you, if that storm, if it's strong enough, it can move that dock. If, you're, if that's what your house is tied to, it's going to move that dock. And, and even those tree limbs, if that's what your house is tied to, if the storm is strong enough, it'll rip those tree limbs down. And so he said, here's what you should do. Uh, take the houseboat out a little bit into the water, and then you're going to drop four anchors down on each side of the boat as deep as you possibly can. And when you get those anchors secure, then your houseboat will be secure. And the thing that we all know, right, is that storms are coming. And for all of us in life, maybe you're in the middle of a storm right now, whether it's a financial storm, maybe it's a relationship storm, a family a health storm, whatever it is. Uh, and if you're not in the middle of a storm right now, um, there's one on the way. Sorry to be the one that, to bring the bad news today. Uh, there, there's one on the way. There's always one on the way. If you knew that six months from right now you would be diagnosed with a terminal illness, uh, or if you knew six months from now that your job was going to get uh, taken, 
or, or that your house was going to be foreclosed on, what would you anchor your life to right now? What would you do to anchor your life and secure your life right now if you knew? That's what this series is about. It's about the anchors that we have available to us in the gospel of Jesus to make our lives strong and secure in him no matter what storms come. Oh, there you go. Yeah, thanks for turning those lights on. I was like, I think people are out there. I'm not really sure, though. Um, if you're watching online, they just turned the lights on, so it's great. It's great to see everybody. Uh, so that's what we're talking about, and this, this is our, uh, for lack of a better term, our anchor uh, passage of Scripture. We're going to keep coming back to this passage all through the month of October, and so this is it. You saw it on the screen a minute ago with that video, um, but it's Hebrews 6, uh, 18 and 19. You can go ahead and put it on the screen there. It says, Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And so what we're going to do is each week of this series, we're going to talk about a different anchor. There's going to be five anchors that we talk about uh, that the gospel gives us that, we, that can help us anchor our lives deep into him and into our relationship with him so that we're ready for the storms of life. Okay, and so the very first anchor we're going to talk about today, beginning this series, is our identity in Christ. That's what we're talking about. Uh, we, are, we are talking about who we are as our identity in Jesus Christ. That's the, maybe the first and the, and the most important one that we, all the other ones kind of build off of. Now, when you hear that, what, what do you think? I mean, do you immediately go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense? Or do you go, like, really? Identity in Christ? That's, how, how, what, what's the importance of that? Why, why in the world would we try to anchor into an identity in Christ? So I want to talk for a minute about why, why does identity matter? Why is that the one we would start with? Um, if you think about it, the reason identity matters is because how you view things is how you do things. That's true of your life. How you view things, your perspective, is, is how you do things. Um, Horst Schultz famously uh, for many, many years worked at the Ritz-Carlton, and his job was to, to train and hire Ritz-Carlton employees. If you know anything about the Ritz-Carlton, it's the top-level hotel. For so many years, they, had the, they were ranked you know, the highest quality of service of customer service of anyone. And so when Horst Schultz was there and when he was training these employees, uh, he gave them a vision statement to train these employees. And here's the vision statement. Um, it was, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That was the, the phrase he gave. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Now, I love that because what he could have said was, here's how you serve ladies and gentlemen, right? That's what he could have done. Here's the behaviors. Here's what you do. Uh, here's how you treat a lady or a gentleman. Here's how you address them. Here's, here's the different things that you do to serve them. He didn't do that. Instead, what he did is he gave them an identity. He said, you are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. So when you view yourself in high regard, and when you view others in high regard like that, you'll know how to behave. You'll know how to treat them because how you view things is how you do things. So when we think about the storms of life that come, uh, does God want to tell us what to do when we go through storms of life? Uh, that's what we want him to do, right? If, you, if you're in the middle of a storm, that's what, that's what you want. Like, God, will you just tell me what to do? Tell me what to do so I can get out of this. But no, that's, that's actually not what God wants to do. What God wants to do is he wants to tell you who you are are in the storms of life because if you know who you are you'll know what to do how you view things is how you do things if you know who you are you'll know what to do and how to behave 
when you find yourself in a storm. Uh, when I think about like the, the power of identity and why it matters so much, I think about uh, our, our family, my wife and I, um, John is our youngest, and he has a, his next oldest brother, Aaron, is on the autism spectrum. And um, as a family, we've known that for many, many years and, and you know, traveled through that journey as a family with a special needs child for many years. And if, you know, from the time all four of our boys were young, you know, in our home, you could get in less trouble for any swear word you'd say than if you said something like, if you called someone a retard or if you made a joke about a person with a disability or a special needs person. And I remember my boys, you know, their friends would make jokes or they'd use that word and, and, and my boys would get in trouble for if they ever tried to use that word. And they'd say, Dad, why can't we say that word? Or why can't we laugh at that joke? Is it because we, is it because I have a brother with special needs? And Carrie and I were really, really intentional uh, in how we talked to our boys, we said we would say, no, that's not the reason. The reason you can't laugh at those jokes, the reason you can't say that word is not because you have a brother with special needs. The reason you can't do that is because you are a brother to someone with special needs. You see the difference between those two things? There, there's a world of difference between those two things. Uh, one of those things is just information. I have a brother with special needs. That, that's just something, that's just information. It doesn't change anything about you. It doesn't tell you how to act, how to live your life. But I am a brother to someone with special needs. That's an identity, isn't it? Uh, and so the, the dominant question becomes, well, what kind of brother am I then if I'm a brother to someone with special needs? Am I a good brother? Am I a not-so-good brother? Because if you know who you are, it clarifies what to do. You know what to do if you know who you are. And for so many of us in our world today, we just don't know who we are. When others are making fun, my boys knew, I'm a brother to someone with special needs. I stand up. That's what I do. I don't join in. I don't go along. And what you see when you look at the scriptures, yes, there are so many commandments. There's lots of places where God tells us what to do, but especially as you get into the New Testament, Far more often, there is not a command for what to do in every situation in the Bible. Have you ever figured that out? The Bible doesn't tell us what to do in every situation, but over and over and over again, what the Bible does do is it tells us who we are. That's what God wants to do in Scripture. He wants to tell us who we are. So when I fail, when I make mistakes, Romans 8 tells me there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's me. That's who I am. I'm, I'm part of those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, when I am terrified of the future, First uh, Timothy says, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. When I'm tempted, uh, Galatians says, it is for freedom that Christ has set me free. That's my identity. I'm free. That's who I am. I'm already free. Therefore, stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Or another example is uh, when I feel alone. I love Isaiah 43. Uh, it's a passage I've returned to again and again in my life. It says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's, see, see, that's who you are. You're mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. What, what God does over and over and over again in Scripture, he doesn't say, here's, here's what to do when the, when the storm comes. He says, here's who you are. You're mine. You're a child of God. You, you've been set free. You're, you're those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Who you are will tell you what you do. And so then uh, I'd love to just kind of 
wrestle with the question then, where do we get our identity? Or at least where are we tempted to get our identity? If not in Christ, what are the kind of the ways in which we go about getting our identity? And I'm deeply indebted to Tim Keller for this next little part of this message. He did some incredible work on just identity formation and where we get our identity as people. And he basically said there are two primary ways that we get or or we form an identity in our Western world today, either outside in or inside out. So pretty much every person, we form an identity either through outside in or inside out. So let me explain that, what I mean by that. Uh, an outside-in identity. Some of us form our identity uh, by basically going outside of ourselves in order to obtain an identity. And if that's the way you, you, you get an identity, what you have to do is you have to go out there and achieve it. I go out and I achieve my identity, and then society and my peers and everybody else validates that. So an example of this would be like an education, right? For some people, an education is their identity. That's who they are. Like, if I can just get my doctorate, right? So they work hard on the PhD. They get that stamp of approval. They achieve that you know, doctorate, and then their peers and others validate that, and that's who I am. That's, that's my identity. And uh, you know, a job, a career can be an outside-in identity. Um, even, you know, even being moral or religious could actually be an outside-in identity if you think about it. Like, hey, I, I'm a really good person. Other people view me as that. I've achieved like this, the, the, all the right kind of markings in life. That's, that's an identity. And um, older generations tend to form an identity that way. Right now in the, in the time and the moment we're living in and our culture today, older generations tend to do that outside in. I go out, I achieve it, others validate it. That's how I get my identity. The other way that we tend to get an, an identity is inside out. And in the cultural moment we live in, younger people tend to form an identity this way. So inside out, what I do is I look within myself to know who I am. And then what I do is I go, I go and I discover it within what my identity is, and then I realign my outward behavior and my appearance to fit that. And so that's what I do. I, I'm, I'm looking within myself. Nobody else can tell me what it is outside. I, I look and I discover, and this is who I am, and then I name that, and then others you know, are, are supposed to validate that. And, to, and, you know, an example of this would be the, the statement we've all heard, right? Live your truth. Live your truth is a perfect expression of an inside-out identity. I go within myself, I discover what my truth is, and then I have to live it outward this way. And, and so, you know, the pro, but other people have to, you know, affirm that. The pronouns have to be correct or, or whatever it is. And here's, whether it's an outside-in identity or an inside-out identity, however we go about getting identity, the, the point I'm telling you this is because any identity based on something uh, – outside of ourself or even inside of ourself is fragile. It's just not secure. It's just not something that can take us through life. If you think about it, if it's an outside-in identity, any, anything outside of myself is fragile because I can fail, can't I? Uh, I? It can be taken away. I can disgrace myself to it. Have we seen any, anybody experience that in the last few years? Uh, we can fall. We can mess up. If our identity is based on who we are outside, it can be taken away from us. Even, you know, I mean, I was just laughing about my son moving on and getting married. Even if your identity is, I'm a parent, I parent these kids, and my identity is all based on my kids, they eventually grow up and move out. And then it's a crisis, isn't it, if that's what your identity has been based on. So it's fragile. But at the same way, you know, any identity that's based on something inside of yourself is also extremely fragile. And the reason is that is because even though we, we go within ourselves and name it, we still look for others to validate it. We still look for others outside to, to acknowledge us and go, yes, I, 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 that's what you're naming, and I'm going to honor that. And maybe people will, maybe they won't. You can't control how people respond to whatever you 
you know, name as your identity. And so therefore it's fragile. And so what that leaves us with either way is we suffer today from a debilitating case of identity and security. We don't know who we are. And when the storms come, that reveals it, doesn't it? It reveals that we, we don't know who we are. And, and the issue here with this is that you know your career can't die for your sins. Uh, your sexual or gender identity cannot die for your sins. Uh, you can't you know, look within yourself and declare yourself forgiven, declare yourself valuable and worthy. You, you can't do that for yourself. You need something bigger than those things, something larger to do that for you. All of us do. It's the way we're wired. It's the way we're made. And so what is the only thing that is secure enough to build an identity on? It's our, our identity in Christ. I, I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture here. This is 2 Corinthians 5.17. And, and if you've you know, grown up in church or been around the church, uh, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture a million times. But maybe you've never thought about it in terms of like your identity, who you are in Christ. But this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So what that's literally telling us is that when we come to Jesus, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we get an entirely new identity. We get an entirely new life. We become a new person. And we don't get that by working at it or achieving it or, okay, well, yeah, now it's possible, so I just got to work at it to get it. No, it, it's ours. In fact, Christianity, our relationship with Jesus, our identity as a child of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, that is the only identity in this world you, that is gifted to you. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. Uh, and it's not something you're going to lose by your bad behavior or, or anything like that. It's something that is purely gifted to you. And therefore, it comes into our lives. I, it does come in from the outside, but then it changes us from the inside out. And so how in the world does Jesus do that? How is that possible? Paul explains it a few verses later when he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. That's saying God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. In other words, Jesus took our broken identity, our sin-filled identity, as, as broken human beings, he took that upon himself on the cross, and, that, and at his crucifixion, his identity, that only he earned, his righteous identity, was gifted to us. So that now, when we put our faith in Jesus, his identity, his righteousness, becomes our identity. That's the gospel message. That, that's the hope that we have in the gospel, and that is the only identity that is strong enough for you to actually anchor your life into. Anything else, any other identity, whether it's outside in or inside out, any other identity that you anchor your life to is basically just throwing ropes around the tree limbs or on, around the dock, hoping to make your life a little more secure. And the storm will reveal it. Storms reveal those things, don't they? And so uh, the question I just want us to kind of wrestle with is we kind of turn this toward ourselves and go, okay, so then how in the world do you anchor into your identity in Christ? How do you do that? How do we as people anchor into this identity in Christ that Jesus has gifted to us and made available to us? Because I would tell you, it's not automatic. It's, it's not just something that just happens. It's, it's something that we have to keep coming back to and keep 
building our lives on all throughout our lives. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. He, he wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church and then Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. But the line I always think of uh, when it comes to identity with him is he says, Jesus is in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. You, you understand what that's saying? Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. So when we come to Christ and we put our faith and our trust in him, we, do, we are a new creation. We do get this new identity in Jesus, but you still have Grandpa in your bones. In other words, we all still have like a family of origin. We all still have a past, history, uh, you know, generational cycles of sin that affect us, that affect our, our lives and our families, uh, addictions, all kinds of stuff that we wrestle with. And so um, Jesus describes how, how we go about this ongoing process of identity, infor- identity formation. And in fact, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I bet you you've read this passage so many times if you grew up in the church, but maybe you've never thought about it at, in terms of like identity formation. So this is what Jesus says, uh, verse, Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And what Jesus is basically saying in there is, yes, because of him, because of who he is, Our identity is gifted to us by him. We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. But we spend our lives learning how to build on that identity, build our lives on that identity. That's what we're doing with the rest of our lives. So two thoughts. Uh, I'd love to leave you with two thoughts of like, how do you actually anchor into your identity in Christ? You can go ahead to that. First one is we have to first identify the false identities we've, we've anchored to, the sand that we're building our lives on. And there's no shame in, in doing that. We all have that. I do, you do. We all have some sort of false identity, some sort of sand uh, that we are basically trying to build our house on, that we're throwing the ropes around and trying to secure the house to. Uh, you've got it, I've got it. And so those things that that we have in our lives, we've got to get honest. We've got to come back to God with confession and repentance and just say, I realize that what I'm doing right now, what I'm building on it's not going to be secure. It's not going to last. By the way, this doesn't get easier as you get older. This just gets harder the older you get. I used to think about this stuff as like, hey, you know, you kind of settle this issue when you're young, you know, and then it's like, no problem, the rest of your life. Your house is built on the rock, right? It's like, no. It gets harder as you get older because the older you get, the more identities you get handed. It's true. When you're in your 20s, you know, you're, maybe you're a single person. You're like, hey, I'm trying to build my career. I'm trying to, you know, make a name for myself, prove myself in my job or whatever. And then, you know, if, if you get married, well, now I got a new identity. I'm a, now I'm a spouse. I'm a, now, then you have kids. Okay, now I'm a parent. Then, you know, you become the assistant to the regional manager, you know, and then you become the regional manager or whatever. And so the career becomes the thing. And then, you know, you get to a point where it's grandma or grandpa or, or whatever it is. And this is why, I mean, even like retire, you've all met this, right? You meet people who are like at the retirement stage of their lives should be the happiest moment of their lives. And it's like a crisis when their job goes away, when their career goes away, because that was the identity. That's what it was all anchored into. It gets harder the older you get, because this is just an ongoing process of always kind of identifying, oh, that's right. That, that's not it. That's a false identity. And continue, continuing to come back to God in confession and repentance. 
so what is it for you right now? My identity is always drifting to something else other than Christ. Always. It's always in this process of drifting. Um, whatever season of life you're in right now, uh, there's a temptation to, to put your identity, to find your worth in something else. And what happens is, you know, in many ways, the storm, in some ways, is kind of a gift. Because what the storm does is it reveals those things. And when the storm reveals it, it gives you the opportunity to go, oh, that's not it. I've got I've to confess again. I've got to repent again. I've got to come back to him again. I think of a time in my own life when uh, a storm kind of revealed that. I was, I was a young pastor. I pastored a church called Frontline for many, many years, still part of our, our network. And I remember uh, when I was young, very, very, at some point, I couldn't even tell you when it happened, but I just started noticing people talked about how big their church was or whatever. If you went to ministry conferences, and you're not pastors in this room, so you won't relate, but you probably could relate in your own jobs or whatever. And I remember realizing, oh, you know, the numbers on Sunday morning of people who show up, that's what matters. And so I remember I, I started to just pay attention to the numbers. How many people are coming to my church? And so how many people are coming to hear me give a sermon? So I remember I, I would... Uh, I would like give a sermon and I would stay at, you know, and talk to people after it was over. And then what I would do before I went home, I'd be the last person to leave the church. I would go find the clipboard. You know what the clipboard was? The clipboard was like the thing people would walk. I don't think they do that here at center, but they would like walk around in the back of the room. I could always see them when I was up preaching and they were like counting the number of people in the room. And they'd go in the kids ministry and count how many kids were in the, you know, how many babies were in the nursery. Cause that's a real measure of my worth, you know? And, um, <laughs> How many, how many people are out there have, drinking coffee and ignoring the sermon? How many people are, you know, all the... And, and they would, like, make a... Here's the number of people that would be there on Sunday morning. And so I would go and I would find that clipboard and I would go, okay, how many people came today? And whatever that number was, if it was a good number, whatever a good number was in my mind, whatever I thought it should be, Sunday was a great day. The rest of Sunday would be awesome. But the days where that number wasn't what I thought it should be, it would ruin the rest of the day for me, or and sometimes the rest of the week. And so uh, I remember my wife, Carrie, was the one who really confronted me on this. I remember at one point she just said to me, she said, I can tell what the numbers at church were by the way that you walk in the door on Sunday afternoon. She said, I can tell exactly what the numbers are because if the numbers were good, you're a great dad. And, and you, we have a great time together as a family, but it, when you walk in and I can tell instantly if the numbers were bad because your, your boys don't want to be around you at all. She was right. And you wouldn't have wanted to be around me either. I was miserable. I was making myself miserable because my, my identity was firmly placed on something that was not secure. I can't control who comes and who doesn't to church. When did God ever call me to do that? And that's, that's me, but I bet you've got something right now in your life uh, and nothing really changes until we identify that false identity, until we identify that sand and we confess and repent of it and just give it back to God. If you're wondering, like, man, I don't know what it is for me. I'm not sure what that is. Um, here's a hint. What do you constantly check? <laughs> that, that'll give you a good clue on where you're, you're putting your identity. Uh, is it the scale? You constantly check the scale. Is it... Uh, how many likes or follows follows you have? Um, I have a friend who every he's, he would like begin every day he'd go to his bank account and then he'd go to his investments and he just obsess about the bank account. That's what he constantly checked. But whatever that is for you, that place where you're constantly checking, you're constantly updating it, constantly making sure you, you know 
that, that's probably a good, a good indicator. It's a good wayfinder of, oh yeah, this is something that's my, my identity is drifting to this other thing over here. And again, if that's you, whatever that thing is, there's no shame in that. That's, that's the beautiful first step we have to take is to identify what that is so we can come back to Jesus and say, you can have this. I, I need to surrender this back to you again. I need to place this back at your feet again. And then the second thing we do after we identify kind of the false identity is we have to build our lives on who God says we are in Scripture. That's the second one. You can go, go to that there on the screen. That's the most important thing I want to leave you with today. We have to build our lives on who God says we are in Scripture. Okay, so uh, a lot of times what we do is we read the Bible, right? But I'm talking about doing something more than just reading the Bible. Please keep reading the Bible. That's good. But a lot of times we, we read Scripture, but what we, do, what we don't do is we don't take the next step and we don't claim our identity as our own. We don't claim what those Scriptures tell us about who we are as our own. There's something powerful about whatever season you're in in life going, that's who I am, and claiming a scripture. And so that's actually how I want to end today. That's actually how we're going to end this service is by taking some time uh, to do that. Because oftentimes what we do is we, we just say, okay, I'm going to read this. I, you know, Okay, yeah, that's probably true. Maybe it's true for somebody. Uh, but maybe you're in a season right now. There's a storm on its way. And you need to just take a minute and just claim a passage of scripture and claim your identity and just say, God, this is who I am and you. I'm not who the world says I am. I'm not who my past says I am. I'm not who the numbers say I am, whatever those are. I am who you say I am. So here's what we did. We, uh, we've got a few scriptures that are going to appear on the screen. And they're just identity scriptures. They're just places in the Bible where God tells us here's who we are. And it is, this is not weird or anything, uh, but I wanted to spend a few moments before we sing um, we're just going to spend some, some moments quietly, and these scriptures are going to appear on the screen. We'll, we'll roll through them a couple times, so you, if you didn't catch it right away. A couple times we'll roll through it. And maybe you just ask God, in the season you're in right now, maybe one of these is just going to light up for you. Maybe one of these uh, passages is just going to appear, and you're going to go, that's the one I know I need to claim in this season. Just let him draw near to you right now. Let him have whatever false identity, that place of sand that you're trying to build your house on. And um, just let him draw dear to you by his word right now. So Jesus, we just come to you. We just recognize first and foremost that you gave your life on the cross, sacrificed yourself so that we didn't have to keep trying to prove ourselves by our own ability, by our own worth, by our own power. But God, we can surrender ourselves fully to you and we can trust that who you've made us to be in you is enough. And so God, whatever storms are on the way, whatever storms we're going through right now, would you remind us again of who you say we are? In the next few minutes, God, would you just settle that issue again in our hearts? Uh, we want to be people who are living out of our identity in you. Because if we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And so, God, would you uh, speak to us even in the next few minutes, we ask in Jesus' name. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit centergr.com new. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.